This is Brennan from the Ghost Story Guys. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a minute to shout out our listeners Elias and Bob, both of whom are going through some pretty serious shit right now, uh, life-changing shit. And so we just wanted to say to them and to all our listeners out there who are going through shit because there's, there's a lot of shit to go through right now. We see you, and uh, it's going to be all right. Now on with the show. Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Paul Bessel. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 114. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Paul? I'm very well. I'm, I'm trying to get through uh, the English biannual drinking competition. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's something to do with uh, some, some kind of sports thing in the distance, but primarily drinking appears to be the competition. Yes, it's been a long month, June and some of July, and uh, I'll be glad when it's all over. I mean, I, I'm enjoying by proxy your both your, your jubilation and your suffering. Because <laughs> I don't think I've ever cared about anything as, mu- as much as you care about the football. And, and for our listeners who don't know, what is, what is happening right now? Uh, well, it's currently, well, when this goes out, it'll all be over. So when you hear this, I'll either be very happy or very crestfallen and sad because we'll have lost in our first ever European football championship. So this is the first time England has made it this far? In the final of the European championships, yes. Okay. Interesting. I, I had no idea. I thought this was more of a, something that happened more often, but, uh, yeah, no, we do. We, we, we just like this. We like disappointment football wise on a European setting every four years. It, it, it sort of <laughs> biannually alternates with the world cup. So, I mean, I, I don't pay attention to football at all, but of course my wife being English, she does. And as I was, I was saying to you before we started the show, one of our friends was updating her via text as the, the game was happening. So we were driving and uh, I was actually, I think I was pulling out of a parking lot at the drugstore and all of a sudden she gasped and I thought, oh shit, did I just run someone over? And I jumped in my seat and I, I hit the, I slammed on the brakes. I said, what's wrong? Where are they? And she went, oh, sorry. No, no. The football. <laughs> well, best of luck to England. As I say, the, the fate will be decided by the time this comes out. Even for patrons, actually, this might, the fate may already be decided. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I hope that you are elated rather than disappointed, uh, because I will actually be at someone's house watching it and they'll be bummed out too, if the game doesn't end the right way. So for everyone's sake, may England win. <laughs> Let's just hope sport's the winner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Neither of us really believe that. <laughs> Winning or losing doesn't matter. What matters is how you played. Bullshit. Come on. <laughs> Well, for my, for my part, I have survived a different kind of challenge. We, uh, a couple of days after we recorded the last episode, the West Coast was hit with this heat dome thing. And, uh, of course, it, it very tragically ended in the, in the loss of the small town of Lytton, B.C., which recorded, I think, Canada's highest ever temperature on one day, and then literally the next day was wiped out by forest fire. And that's, yeah. that's not a joke, folks. That's just a thing that happened. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, where we live, we're, we're really lucky because, you know, as much as I bitch about this apartment and our lack of natural light, it actually is what saved us because temperatures here got, for Victoria, you know, they got up to, I want to say the high 30s. Yeah. And my friend of mine who works out at the airport, it got up to the low 50s mm. at the airport. He, his boots were melting on the tarmac. <sighs> yeah. You couldn't do anything. You, you know, I, I just sat here. I sat here in the office working until I couldn't work. And basically, I couldn't be in the office anymore because it was now too hot. Yeah. And I don't think I got dressed apart from, you know, put, putting on clothes to go across the street and get some Chinese food. I didn't put on clothes for about two days because <laughs> it was just too much work. And but again, we were, we were lucky because our friends, they live on the fourth floor. They actually had to leave their apartment with their pets because they, they, would, they would not survive. You know, like they, the, the one day they took them over to their friend, their family's house because their family has sort of a, a detached house. Mm. And, but then the next day it was too hot even there. So they just had to put them in the car with the air conditioning on. And I mean, obviously there's a certain amount of dark irony there because, you know, that's how we ended up in this position in the first place. Mm. But what can you do? You know, yeah. it's, it's the only way to get air conditioning because most places here, and I, I think it's the same in England, most places here don't have air conditioning. Oh, air conditioning here is a luxury. Most most offices have only recently had it installed because I've I've worked in my career in a few places where any any sunny weather in the UK is often treated with uh, great joy for about two days, and then after that, everybody, well, most people, I'm certainly not one of them. Most people, are, oh, but it's too hot. Oh, yeah, yeah. How can you live like this? Um, <laughs> And I mean, it's about the same here. We're, we're not, we're not fans of, of weather one way or the other, <laughs> but holy shit. Yeah. It was, uh, again, it, it, it was not shouting at the football, a uh, challenging, but it was, it was challenging in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've had one of those weird starts to our summer where it's been quite hot for a while and then it's been quite thundery for a while. And now it's just going hot one day and thundery the next and hot one day and then thundery the next. So we're just playing that kind of uh, a bit of uh, tete-a-tete with the, with the weather here at the moment. Oh, man. As much as I love thunderstorms, this time of year, they just give me night sweats because that's how more fires start. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, especially if it's been so hot, it's just basically like kindling, isn't it? That's, that's exactly it. You know, I was on the 4th of July, I was sitting out my, on my balcony uh, working on some stuff at our outside table there. And I kept hearing this rumbling. And again, I thought it was an earthquake because, you know, we live in an earthquake zone mm. until I looked at Twitter and someone said, aha, on the 4th of July, when uh, the American fireworks sound like, uh, sound like, like uh, earthquake rumbling in, <laughs> uh, in, in Victoria. And I thought, hang on, didn't we not just not end a period of intense, possibly record high temperatures and, and low <laughs> moisture and you dumb motherfuckers are letting off fireworks? <laughs> oh God! Did you not celebrate Canada Day doing that? Not with fireworks, we sure as hell didn't. <laughs> Ice pops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I think nationalist holidays are stupid. Generally speaking, mm. you know, just as a rule, I'm just not a fan. Um, and of course, this year Canada Day was fraught for for a lot of reasons. But I mean, primarily because, and again, folks, if if you don't know. There have been the discoveries of uh, a number of unmarked graves, over a thousand unmarked graves of children found uh, on the sites of these former residential schools, which is where indigenous children were taken from their parents and brought there. And they were, these were run by, by churches. And yeah. these kids were, they were brutalized. And I mean, this is, is not a very ho-ho funny opening to the show, but there's a lot of, 
not very ho ho funny shit happening at the moment. Yes. And so, yeah, like, uh, this was part of a very, very dark part of Canada's history and just not something we've really reckoned with, I think. Not really. And so having more than a thousand of these graves, it might actually be even more now, yeah. uh, being found, you know, it, it just really put a damper on Canada Day. And generally speaking, again, I think nationalist holidays are stupid anyways, because you're celebrating something you had absolutely nothing to do with. But, uh, yeah, this year it made it even more fraught. So in addition to the heat, in addition to the morning, fireworks seemed like a real bad idea, but nope, didn't stop some folks. But, uh, transitioning from that to something much happier. (laughs) This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Frankenberry to our Count Chocula. We couldn't do this without you, genuinely. You guys make this possible for me to do this as a career. Pays the bills and, and makes it all happen. Thank you so, so much. And if you want to learn how to become part of the team, check out the end of the show um, or go to patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. Uh, but we'll talk about it more at the end of the show. For now, though, we would like to thank our latest patrons. And they are... Commissar Crunch. Laura Jane. And John Shattuck. Thank you so, so much, guys. Again, from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. All right. Now we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with a listener mail. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is called Dial G for Ghost because it involves weird things happening in and around phones. Uh, and I, I love that subject, man. Uh, ever since there's that, uh, that Stephen King short story about a, a guy accidentally calling his grieving wife in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. And I cannot remember what it's called, but it, 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 that hooked me from the time I was a kid and, and terrified me, of course, because I'm morbid and obsessed with death. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm Italian. At this point, I'm starting to think it's baked into my DNA. <laughs> it's the fear of the ghosts in the machine. I think it's it's always a, an interesting aspect to the paranormal. Yeah, absolutely. Because we rely on technology, right? You know, you, mm. you, you, you trust your phone not to tell anyone what you're looking at on it. Mm. And so, you know, well, maybe, maybe, you, maybe we shouldn't trust it so much considering what we know about privacy now. But, but regardless, <laughs> yeah, it's always, uh, always a fascinating topic. But before we get there, we have lots of uh, really cool listener mail, and we're going to try and zip through it so we don't uh, spend another half hour on this segment <laughs> like we did last time. As, I mean, I love it, but you know, it's funny. You know, I remember the times when I was, I thought, man, I, I bet I can get this show to an hour, an hour tight. And uh, yeah, that's not happening anymore, Paul. Well, you know, you, you, you give me an inch and I'll usually take a foot. Uh, yeah, well, me too. So we're enabling each other, I think is what's happening. <laughs> At the last episode, I, I had to cut a bunch of shit out because otherwise it was going to be two hours long. And I thought, no, we're, we're not, or sorry, two, two and a quarter hours long. And I thought, no, 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 no. We're, this is not happening. This is not hardcore history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I've, I've got a few episodes these days that punch in just under two hours. No, nope, exactly. We, uh, we are as bad as each other. So on with the mail. And uh, first up is from Billy Joe. Billy Joe says, you were talking about seeing a man in flannel. I had never heard of this happening to other people. 
I was at the Calgary airport opening the fine Canadian coffee shop where I was working. I suspect I know which that is. At the time, I was the only person in this part of the airport, but I still saw a man in a red flannel shirt with brown hair and a good old Burt Reynolds mustache before he promptly disappeared. Thank you for your podcast and keep up the good work. P.S. I am originally from Vancouver Island and the Dutch Bakery is my favorite place in Victoria and I miss it dearly. And Billy Joe, thank you so much. And and I miss it too, frankly. I, I can't eat most of the shit they sell there anymore. So <laughs> I I miss the Dutch Bakery. But when in 2008, when Nick had to go home because her, her visa had expired, I was just living here by myself and I hadn't really made a lot of friends. <laughs> okay, I'm being generous to myself. I hadn't made any friends. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was alone. I was alone in the city. I my government contract had ended, so I wasn't working. And so I just, you know, I was kind of living on what, what little savings I had. And mm. so the only company I had at the time was like going to the Dutch bakery and having some strawberry shortcake and coffee and talking to the regulars there. And that is a motley crew of which to be considered uh, a member, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit too young by about 40 years. <laughs> so thank, thank you again, Billy Joe. And next is from Krista, and, and Krista is a part of the Ghost Story Guys family. She is Anthony's wife, and she, I, she sent us this, this really lovely email, and, and I think it's important to, for people to hear. Hmm. And she says, currently listening to your episode, Who Are the Plaid People? And I got to the part where you talk about Louis body dementia. I unfortunately have firsthand experience with this type of dementia. As with most dementia, it is terminal, and Louis body is considered one of the worst. My dad was diagnosed in the fall of 2016, though he showed symptoms earlier, and succumbed to the effects of his dementia in January. His was considered the slow-progressing kind of Louis, if you can believe that. What your psychologist friend advised is true. Hallucinations are prevalent, as well as delusions and paranoia, and that is not a good combo when they don't remember you and you're trying to be a calming influence. Louis body patients typically see children and animals. Some patients have horrific hallucinations and can act them out, which can be dangerous to the patient and their carers. Behaviors and symptoms range from person to person. This is because there is no way to determine where Louis bodies are deposited within the patient's brain. You're watching your loved one deteriorate mentally and physically as their brain is actively dying. We were lucky that my dad didn't suffer many hallucinations until the last few months of his life, the majority of which were benign. He often saw children running around the house and small animals, cats, rabbits, squirrels. We always went along with his hallucinations. I just asked if the children or animals were bugging him, and if so, to let me know so I could kick them out or shoo them away. Most of the time he told me to let them be, they were just having some fun. We found reflections in mirrors, plastic, and even sunlight on the hardwood floor could induce a hallucination. We did our best to cover up anything reflective and close blinds to minimize the chances of one taking hold. There were funny moments, amazing moments, and absolutely gut-wrenching moments. In his lucid moments, Dad knew exactly what was happening to him, and it was heartbreaking. Not enough is known about Louis body or the many other dementias in general, and more research needs to be done. I know this message isn't ghosty, but I truly appreciated Louis body being mentioned within the podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you, Krista. And, you know, I, I know uh, from Anthony sort of some measure of, of what you're talking about. And, I mean, hats off to you for the strength that I know you have, because it was not easy. Holy mm. fucking shit. It was not easy. And... Uh, that is, that is a, a, a process and a situation that, that would have broken lesser people. So I, I hope that you recognize how much internal strength you have for getting through that. So this one's from Oliver. Back when I was a child, I lived in Calgary with my family. It was in the middle of summer, and despite it being late at night, it was very hot outside. I have always struggled falling asleep in the heat, so I would lay in bed, CD player in hand, 
and listened to tunes until mercifully the heat would let off enough for me to sleep. That night, I was laying in bed, enjoying my music, when I looked up at the ceiling and thought I saw something catch my eye. As my eyes strained to focus in the darkness, I saw that what I was looking at was something that had been crawling on the ceiling and had frozen in place the moment I had laid eyes on it. It looked like a person, not too tall, perhaps four or five feet, and the best way I can describe the position they were in was similar to that of the old Spider-Man comics when he crawls along a building. I was terrified. I thought that I was just having a night terror and thought if I blinked hard enough it would dissipate, but it did not. It just stayed there, watching. The only other option I could think of to get out of this was to turn on my bedside lamp. So after mustering up the courage to move, I reached over and flipped the switch. As soon as the light turned on, whatever this creature was had disappeared. My heart was racing and I figured that was the end of it. However, looking up at the ceiling, I saw something that had confirmed that there had indeed been something there. As I looked up, I saw something fall from where it had been. What had fallen was a flake of dried skin. It was about the size of my fingernail and had fallen right from where the thing had been. I bolted out of the room and was done with my bedroom that night. So, I know, right? Screw that noise. Yes. So, Oliver, first off, yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. And one of the many reasons I wanted to share this here was because I think there is something really interesting about that flake of skin. Because there is this notion, and you and I have talked about this before, that that John Keel put forward way back in the 70s, that Mm. certain kinds of entities are almost temporary extrusions into our world from somewhere else. And one of the things he theorized about in one of his books, and I, I don't remember which, was he theorized that blood sacrifices sort of became a thing that kind of became a part of, of ritual because blood has a certain quality to it. You know, there could be like a, like a, a power to it, you know? And so that could be something involved in the use of that blood could somehow allow these, these extrusions, you know, or could allow these creatures to operate here in a way that, um, that they couldn't otherwise. Mm. And so I wonder, you know, like, is it possible I mean, it, this sounds a little bit like those Looney Tunes cartoons where Marvin the Martian had like the just add water Martians. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but I wonder, you know, is it possible that, yeah, these things, when we see them, there is one small, tiny physical aspect to them. Hmm. And that is what allows them, you know, so that, that's what gives them anchor yeah. in this world. You know, uh, like, actually, I just had a conversation with Mike from of the band Faustbot. Uh, and they've got a new album out. We had them on the mm-hmm. show once. If you guys liked uh, Faustbot, make sure to check them out. But um, he put forward this notion that, uh, and we've, I mean, this is again something you and I have talked about, that the other plane kind of manipulates us because it cannot physically act on this world. But I wonder if these little beachheads, these little bits of skin, things like this, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to, you know, that allows them a foothold mm. to then be more present. Yeah. And I've often found it interesting that they always seem to be around when it's dark and light just seems to, they seem to flee it. And yet we shouldn't be prescribing that kind of fear of the dark because I I don't get that kind of aspect of it that what is about the light that they seem so scared about if they have this power or these abilities or this way of being able to, to stealthily move around 
and and spy on us, what what are they so afraid of? I wonder though if it's not necessarily a fear response, but maybe in the absence of light, they can gather darkness. You know that sort of that that absence of light is what allows them to have not a form, but the appearance of form. Hmm. You know, so like they are, they can fill that gap because there is absence. And maybe, maybe there's a differentiation, maybe there's a differentiation to be made between entities which are visible in the light and which are chased away by the light. Rasheen says, I've been listening to your most recent podcast, Who Are the Plaid People? I was listening to the story where the listener kept having dreams of the kind elderly couple and had a loving and calm feeling whenever they would wake up. I don't know if it's more of my sinister side, but I immediately was reminded of the story Coraline by Neil Gaiman, where children are lured into a web of a monster who watched them in their normal lives, realised what they were missing and gave it to them at night. It was never clear in the book if this was through their dreams or not. Ironically, since we've moved house, I have a limited edition print copy of this book that's been flying off the shelf at random since we moved. I keep picking it up and placing it back on the shelf and don't acknowledge it falling whilst I'm in the house. It's a really freaky print, but it's a brilliant story. I didn't want to put a dampener on the listener story if it's a fond memory, but that's immediately where my mind went. Hope you're both well. Well, thanks, Rasheen. That's a, uh, that's a, what had been a happy story destroyed. So good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Neil Gaiman. He's a very uh, interesting author and has been for, for several, well, several decades, really. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a massive Sandman fan. And, uh, like for a long time, American gods, I, I would mm. re- reread that over and over. I just, just love that book. Yeah, yeah. Good Omens as well, but with Terry Pratchett's a a favourite of mine too. I haven't read that. I tried watching the series. I couldn't get into it, Mm. but uh, maybe maybe i got to try it again because, yeah, I I love Terry Pratchett too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My mother was incensed. (laughs) Oh, really? At the adaptation? Yeah. It's her favourite book. Uh, Never watch the adaptations of your favourite books. Yes. Just, Just don't do it. It's, you will, you will always be disappointed, except for American Gods. The first mm. couple episodes of that, I thought were as near to perfect as television can get. Yeah. But, uh, so Rasheen, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I, I do agree. I, I think there is a very interesting parallel there. And, um, coincidentally, I had another listener send me a message on Instagram and I'm sorry I didn't make a note of your name, but she also said that she was reading a book, which was, um, heavily drawn from Russian folklore. And in that there was also an elderly couple who would kind of look after you. In, you know, if they found you in the, you would find them in the woods when you needed them and they Mm. would, you know, look after you and and kind of send you on your way the next day. So this appears to be a really, really old concept. Again, uh, either way, just don't go in the woods and you don't have to worry about finding the old people or a bear or anything. You can just (laughs) stay home and watch Netflix or the Arrow streaming service, which I'm quite enjoying right now. So it's not a paid message, but uh, hey, Arrow player, it could be. It could be. Well, thank you to everyone who wrote in. Again, this is just a selection of the messages we get. I love hearing from you guys. We both do. And if you got a message for us, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to send it. And now on with the stories. The 
The Phantom Ring This has been bothering me for a while, and I seem to be the only one who hears it. Before I get started, let me say I don't have tinnitus, and the sound is definitely coming from outside my own head. Every now and again while I'm watching TV or working on my laptop, I'll suddenly hear an old-fashioned phone ringing. I know it's old-fashioned because it sounds exactly like an old phone we used to own. One of the ones with a curly cord and the very specific ring. The ones you could slam down to show how pissed off a conversation it made you. It's like one of those. No one else in the house, including the cat, has heard it. I would love to know where you got that data. Hey cat, can you hear that? I even made a point to mute the TV volume once while I was hearing it and said, hey, can you hear that? Again, presumably not the cat they're asking this. Nope. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. No one could hear it except me. What gives? It doesn't sound close, and it doesn't sound as if it's in the house. It sounds as if it's coming from somewhere, but I don't know where. The walls are not so thin for me I can hear the neighbor's phones ringing. One neighbor doesn't even own a phone, and obviously a house phone wouldn't be located outside, so I'm perplexed as to where this sound is coming from. Or, more importantly, why I'm the only person able to hear it. My only two guesses are as follows. That I'm hearing something residual replaying itself in a loop like a broken record, except it only happens when the conditions for said residual energy to play are correct. Or secondly, that I'm hearing it ringing from an alternate timeline or universe. Those kind of phones did have a very specific kind of ringtone. It always reminds me of being a kid, and we thought we were we were quite chic because we had our phone on the wall. Oh ho! Yeah, Mister Moneybags um, Bestel over here. <laughs> so um, it was very difficult to slam it down because you might sort of bruise your knuckles on the wall. <laughs> right. So um, you had to get really annoyed to do it. But um, they were a very specific one, and it, it's one of those things that certain certain images of phones for me. Elicitor, I can hear them just by looking oh, yeah. at the pictures. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yep. So it is a very specific noise. It's not, you know, like you say, like could be mistaken for an ice cream van or something like that. It is a specific ringtone yep. that you associate with that style of phone. I, I feel like there are so many mundane possibilities here. It's hard to like jump to ghost phone. Because again, unfortunately, this was a story found online, so it was hard to narrow down uh, where they lived, you know, do you live in an apartment mm. complex? Do you live in a, in a duplex? You know, that kind of thing. Mm. But I, I will say that, um, those old phones, cause I had one of those old black phones in my office back home in Revelstoke mm. and man, this person talking about how it was, you would slam it down to show how pissed off you were. It really was very satisfying. <laughs> the black mist. This incident took place in Los Angeles, California in 2007, 2008. In late 2007, I purchased a new cell phone, and a few months afterwards, in the beginning of 2008, I believe something evil took up residence in it. On the day in question, I had just returned home from running a few errands, and set my phone down on the bureau in my room. I had just turned on the television, and begun watching, when something distracted me. A small, black, cloud-looking substance, small enough to fit into the palm of my hand, hovered into my room, over my phone and then disappeared into it. At the time, I didn't pay much attention to it, and went on with my day. But from that moment on, I started having problems with my phone. When I tried to call out, I would often get a lot of static, and whereas before I would often get calls from family, friends and acquaintances, all of those calls stopped. No one would call me at all, 
and I never got any missed call messages on my phone. This went on for about two weeks, until, one day, my sister called me out of the blue. When I answered, she said, Kelly? And of course I said yes. She seemed concerned, but didn't elaborate as to why. After that, other people started calling, and telling me they had been trying to call me for the last several days, but couldn't get through. My assumption was that the reception was being spotty, so I blew it off and assumed that was the end of it. It wasn't. Another day later, I got a call from a colleague I had been working with on a project. She too complained about not getting through, but then she said something that got my attention. She said that one of the times she tried to call me, an ugly, demonic-sounding voice answered, saying, Kelly's not here today. She said it kept saying it over and over, until the phone went dead. At first I didn't believe it, how could I? But then I remembered watching that black smoke zip into my phone. I put two and two together, and all I could assume was that something awful had briefly taken up residence there. I guess it finally moved on, and that's what allowed the calls to break through. To this day... Oh, hang on. Somebody's having a car race past our house. <laughs> so you live apparently in a very, very uh, active car neighborhood, like you're in a 1970s Springsteen song. <laughs> Do you know what? Until I sat down to do this, I've not heard a car for about an hour and a half. <laughs> of course. It's like lawnmower, man. Oh, don't say it. Don't conjure him. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I wonder what it was saying to people when they try and call. It must have been scaring them off. My friends and family never spoke about it, and I got the feeling it was very much a subject they wanted to avoid. Now, Matt from the Full Movie podcast says... As a child in the 80s, the 1980s, just in case you were wondering, I saw a black mist appear and then come towards me, but not like a fog, more like a mass of nothing coming at me. And uh, we just wanted to mention that because Matt Matt sent it in recently. And um, as I say, Matt, it's from, I believe it was, it was full movie. I think it's, uh, yeah, they've changed their name to the Royal Philharmonic Chainsaw Massacre. I think, <laughs> they, I think they're still on hiatus, but, um, mm. but yeah, I wanted to mention that because it, he sent that in basically a day or two after I found the story about the black mist going into the phone. Mm. And I thought it seemed too, you know, too coincidental to, uh, to not, to not mention it at the same time. Yeah. I like that one. You know, the fact that maybe just having no calls for a, for a week or so these days, most people would probably be quite thankful. It would seem, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, the fact that you've got this disembodied voice answering the phone for the person and using their name as well, I think gives it a real kind of scare factor that's quite unusual. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it because, again, co coincidentally, or maybe not, depending on how you look at these things, the week before I found this story, I was talking to a close friend of mine and she was saying that it appears as though someone may have cloned her number mm. because every now and again, one of her friends will call and someone will pick up the phone who's not her. Mm. And so, um, and apparently this is every now and again, she'll see a call on her bill that she did not make like a, a, a long, a quite a long distance call. Right. And so she talked to her provider about this and her provider said, this is a thing that's happening. Mm. And I actually, I remember also speaking to someone who works in the financial sector and he was saying that, uh, one of his clients had this happen. They, they cloned his phone. Apparently, they can, this can happen in a crowd. Mm. They have this technology that can clone your phone. And they listened to him. They got his voice. 
uh, he was a wealthy man. And they actually managed to use this combination of information from his calls and this, his voice to spoof his bank mm. and make some moves uh, as far as his, um, you know, his savings goes. Yeah. And you know, afterwards they got it sorted out and the bank said, yeah, this is a thing that, you know, this is sort of an increasing thing that's happening, you know, a, as technology becomes more complex mm. and gets better at stopping scammers, scammers just themselves become better at doing it. Yeah. So I, again, you know, if not for the black mist, I'd think, oh, maybe that's what's going on. But the black mist is, is really, really interesting. And it, it kind of reminds me actually of a conversation I had, I think it was on our Patreon page from one of our patrons. And they were talking about how they had this strange sensation that something was coming and, and patron, whoever you are, I, I think I know who it is, but I don't want to name you just in case I'm wrong. Mm. So if, if I'm getting this incorrect, please correct me. Uh, but they were saying that they felt like something bad was coming. And so, but they, they were, they felt like it was somehow centered around the internet. Yeah. And so they unplugged their, their router and the feeling slowly ebbed. Mm. And then they kind of felt like, okay, I think I can plug it back in again. Again, I may be getting some of the details wrong, but. Yeah. And I just thought it was really interesting, you know, cause we, again, like we don't think about that. The internet and, and the television are just a thing that works, but you know, is it possible for things to sort of ride on those, to ride on those currents? And is it the same with cell phones? You know, yeah. are these all possible micro doorways into our lives that we just, we just don't think about because again, we kind of accept it on face value. Looking back at me in 1999, my boyfriend and I bought a home together. Shortly after moving in, I was expecting an important phone call and woke up one morning to see the message light blinking on my phone. Thinking I might have missed a call, I decided to listen to the message, but since I had recently bought two new phones, wasn't quite sure how to work the answering machine. I remember those days. I started out by trying the kitchen phone, eventually giving up and putting it back onto charge. I then walked through the living room and into my bedroom to try on that phone. The only way into my bedroom is through the living room, as it used to be the garage. From the bedroom door, you can see all of my bedroom. The phone was sitting in its usual spot on my vanity, in front of the mirror. I picked it up, trying to figure out how to work the answering machine. For around five minutes, I stared at the damn thing, trying to puzzle it out, and eventually gave up and set the phone back down. Looking up into the mirror, I saw an older woman with long blonde hair, wearing what looked like a white nightgown, walking behind me. My first thought was that someone had broken in. I quickly turned to look behind me, but no one was there. I turned back toward the mirror and found it similarly empty. It was then that I remembered a few things. One, I have bars on all of the windows of my house so no one can get in through my windows. Two, there is no door leading outside from my bedroom. Three, this woman would have had to already be in my room because she was moving from left to right, and if that was the case, I should have seen her when I entered the room. Four, I had just gotten up and so both of my doors were still locked tight. Five, I had just come from the living area, which is open plan. I can see the living room, dining room, and both doors from the kitchen, so no one could have gotten in without me noticing. I still checked the entire house to be sure, but I was the only person there. And I remember the days of cordless phones and answering machine bases <laughs> with uh, a particular kind of dread because I worked at Radio Shack, and so we used to have to sell those things. Yeah. And I had more fights over cordless phones, Paul, than I ever want to admit to. <laughs> you know, you used to have to tell people that they had to, it came with a battery, but then they'd have to buy their own replacements. Yeah. And those things had the shelf life of termites. Like they just, you know, they would die in an instant and, and people would come in hurling invective and sometimes batteries at you. 
<laughs> because they had to pay a whole jillion dollars for a new one. Oh God, what a nightmare that was. It, this thing, it kind of reminded me though, that there was a time I was booked on a paranormal show and I, I won't say which, but the person, the host had called me at the appointed mm. time. Oh, I'm just going to get a fucking helicopter outside. Cause of course I do. <laughs> no idea why there's a helicopter in my neighborhood. Yeah. They all say that. <laughs> Look, I have the crack hidden. They're not going to find it. <laughs> Tell the telly you might be on. <laughs> hey, that looks like, uh-oh. <laughs> I always remember that famous YouTube clip of that guy sat in his front room watching, watching the new breaking news, and there's a cop chase. And then he looks out of his window and they just go flying past. <laughs> so I was, I was waiting for this host to call me at the appointed time for my interview, and they never did. And so I was getting annoyed because I, you know, at the time, all the recording equipment was at the office, so I had to be downtown to, to do these interviews. Yeah. And then a couple minutes after the hour, I, I, a voicemail pops up and it was a furious voicemail because this person said, well, you, you weren't there, you know, fuck you, buddy, basically. Yeah. And so I called them back immediately and said, look, I don't know what happened, but my phone never rang. Mm. You know, I, I just, I was, I've been sitting here the entire time. And then your voicemail popped up. I said, uh, you know, the, my apologies. I, I was here on time. I would never, ever be late for an interview. Mm. And this person just literally said, nope, too late. You fucked up. Click. And I thought, okay, fair, you know, that was my bad, technically, you know, I mean, yeah. it was, wasn't my fault, but I was in the haunted office, you know, maybe Satan blocked the call or <laughs> who knows. But then about four months later, their booker sent me another message and said, Hey, we'd love to have you on the show. So-and-so would love to speak with you. And I thought, I don't think they would. <laughs> I suspect if you look back in your book of you know, fuck these people in particular. I imagine my name is probably underlined a couple times. I, I, you know, so yeah, needless to say, I've never appeared on that show, but they actually asked one more time, I, like a couple months after that, I got the, I got another message. I think this time from my publisher and they said, Hey, yeah, so-and-so has approached us about having you on the show. Like, do, do they have the guy from Memento doing their booking? What is happening here? <laughs> Perhaps you never got around to tattooing your name on his chest. Well, apparently not, man. I, God almighty, he was mad. And again, fine. That's, I understand. But, uh, yeah, to, to come back two more times, either you're hard up for guests or like I said, you've got uh 10 second Tom from the wedding singer handling all your, uh, all your organization. <laughs> Isn't Adam Sandler deep cut for you? Big time. I guess it's not, is it, is it technically a deep cut? It's just an old movie. <laughs> that movie's 23 years old, Paul. <sighs> Thanks. If I have to live with this knowledge, so do you. Yeah, and Billy Idol's still alive. Bless him. He'll outlive us, Paul. He will. He, he will. I don't know how or why, <laughs> but you're right. Cocaine. Mostly cocaine. <laughs> it's probably all, all the metal parts in his legs, I would imagine. That worked. Yeah, that could be too. I mean, I, I would happily welcome some metal parts in my legs. Jesus Christ, my ankle is still stiff from the other night. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're now getting to that age where RoboCop might be a documentary. <laughs> oh, I'm angsty enough, so that would certainly fit. And I, I'm, I just have much of a penchant for violence. Although I will say he's a much better shot than I am. Yeah, yeah. I draw the line at baby food, though. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm in the grocery store, and I'll look at, and I'll see it there, and I think, man, I don't know. That looks, that looks kind of good. You know, <laughs> I'll sometimes think about buying applesauce just because yeah. I think I don't know. There's something appealing about like fruit flavored mush. I, I may, again, maybe this is just age talking. I'm not sure. <laughs>
it's not grandma. As most of you know, when a relative dies and they have no will, their possessions are divided equally amongst the family. My grandmother died of cancer when I was two years old. I don't remember much of the time we spent together, but from what I've heard, she had a short and troubled life. My grandmother was succeeded by nine children, including my mother. Her assets were sorted through and given away. My mother had cared for my grandmother during her illness, and I think the strain of also having to take on her possessions kept her from accepting most of them at the time. When I was six, my aunt asked my mom if she was ready to take some of the things my grandmother had left behind, and my mother finally accepted. My sister and I were ecstatic. What little kid doesn't love having stuff to rummage through? And when the things arrived, my mother let us pick one thing each to keep. One thing in particular caught my eye, an old light blue telephone that my aunt had told me I used to play with at my grandmother's house. I had to have it. Once my mother said it was okay, I took the phone into my room and played with it all day long. The rest of the day and night passed as it usually did, dinner, bath time and bed all in short order. I still shared a room with one of my sisters then, Cara, and at bedtime we jumped into our bunk beds and began to relax. The phone was sat on my playstand, where it had spent the whole day along with some other toys. I had finally fallen asleep when a loud bleating noise pierced my ears and I woke with a start. Cara woke up too and she didn't seem all that worried when, still particularly asleep, she began to look for the source of the noise. It turned out that my new playphone was ringing. Remember, this phone had no cord, and even if it had, we didn't have a phone jack in our room. I guess it didn't register to Cara that the phone was fake, because she picked up the receiver and said, Hello? A moment later she dropped the phone, screamed for my mother, and ran to hold me in the bunk. The voice on the phone kept speaking, and now I could hear it. The voice on the other end was my grandmother's, but it wasn't her demeanour. Her voice was ill-tempered and seemed violent. All it kept repeating was, Hello girls, I'm here girls, with a horrible laugh in between. It kept up the laughing, even after my mother bolted through the door. She took one look at the situation and immediately hung up the phone. She tried her best to calm us. By this time, everyone in the house was awake and in our room asking what had happened. All we could say was grandma's here, to which my mother replied, that was not your grandma. That does remind me of, I've read a very similar story that happened over here in the UK. Oh, really? Mm. Look, quite similar that someone used to play with a phone as a child and they ended up getting it and using it as a toy and it rang one night and somebody was on the other end. Oh, Jesus. I mean, that's... I mean, the thing about it is, is that if you recognise the voice, but you know it's not them, yep. that makes sense. I yep. suppose that gives it an even creepier aspect to that story. Oh, yeah, because then you're in like doppelganger and mimic territory. And that's... Yeah. All, again, that always seems sinister because most things in nature, you know, they don't mimic. I mean, some of them mimic to keep themselves safe. But mm. others are not doing it for your be- for the best interest of things around them. No. And uh, if our listeners recognize that story, that's because we shared that one on episode uh, 41 or 47, the, the Ghost of the Machine. But it's it's one of my all-time favorite stories we've told on the show. And so I thought, well, we're going back to phones. I really need to, uh, really need mm. to share that one again. 
I mean, it is that thing as well where you're half asleep and then you suddenly realize, well, how can it be ringing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess that's it because that's, I think that's how they get you. Because I, I just feel like if I'm sitting here and I've got an old phone and it starts ringing, well, I'm just going to gently escort said phone outside and it will stay there until the end of time. You know, like literally until the heat death of the universe, that phone is going to be sitting outside my apartment. <laughs> but if you're groggy, if you're, a ki- you know, or, or if you're a kid and you're kind of dumb, you think, well, well let's see who it is. And, and it's, yeah. it's, it's never catered, you know? <laughs> What was, what was the, the radio station you were telling me about off air that, that calls people? Oh, absolute 80s here in the UK. And they have a robot ring people to, to give them thousands of pounds. And you, you were telling me some guy actually had entered that competition. Yes. But <laughs> neglected to answer the phone properly. And it just breaks my brain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, you enter this competition and the idea is they will ring you and you have to answer the phone and say, make me a winner. Uh, so people know they've entered this competition and they know when they may get a call. And he just went, hello? <laughs> oh. And didn't win. Have you ever you ever entered one of those or won something like that? Um, when I was a teenager, we had a big thing over here about music quizzes that you would ring up. And obviously being 13, I didn't care. It was 10 pence a minute. Of course. Um, uh, until the phone bill came. Um, but... <laughs> But I, I used to enter these music competitions all the time, and, and uh, I once entered this competition to win the top 40 singles, and, okay. um, and I won. And Holy then shit. about two weeks later, all these records turned up, and they're like, what, what, what's, come, what's happened here? And then the day after, the phone bill came, and it was like five times more than it normally was. <laughs> and, and five times more than what it would, would have cost to just buy the records. <laughs> And so, yeah, I was in the doghouse for a couple of days. And then about three days later, an album turned up that I'd also won. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, I I would listen to the radio. You know, fuck all else to do when you're a little kid and all stuck at night. So listen, listen to local radio. And I remember, like, I was very young and I wanted to, I wanted to hear a song. So I like dialed information (laughs) and just asked. Because that's all I knew to do is like hit zero and ask for the operator. Cause I was like, I don't know, six or something. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I want to talk to the radio station. And the operator very patiently said, are you supposed to be doing this? <laughs> yes. And she, she connected me to the radio station. And, you know, and again, I had to like explain what town, thankfully it was like one town over and there's, there's one radio station. Yeah. Um, and then I was on air and again, the host was like, are you supposed to be calling us young man? Yes. <laughs> and uh, again, I, I, I never saw the phone bill and I assumed that, uh, I don't think anyone ever knew I'd done it, but very, yeah, for a very, very brief moment, I was, uh, I was breaking the law and I got to hear walk the dinosaur. So it was, it was a good <laughs> that night. was, not was. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 Boom, boom, yeah. shakalaka, laka, boom. That's the one. Yep. I, yep. I desperately wanted to hear walk the dinosaur. So I broke <laughs> yeah, several house that rules. story. <laughs> <laughs> That's when, 1987. When? All right. So, yes, I was four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. This explains a few things. The Rider. My story happened in 1994 when I was 15 years old. The house in Malaysia where I lived with my family was situated on top of a hill next to my grandfather's rubber plantation, and the road which led to and from our land was the only one in the village. It was quite a lonely place, with no neighbors nearby, and you were dwarfed by tall rubber trees, which made you feel even more isolated. 
On that night in 1994, my best friend called me on the house phone around 8pm to discuss our upcoming exam. The phone was in the ground floor living room, next to a window which overlooked the road. I used to like looking out of it while talking to my friends. At the time, I was alone in the living room as everyone was in their various rooms upstairs. While I was on the phone, I heard a motorcycle coming from the bottom of the hill, so I looked out the window to see who it was. The motorcycle sound was quite loud, as if the rider was having trouble handling the machine. When it was in view, right in front of my house, it suddenly gave a loud roar and flipped on its rear tire, throwing the rider off. The rider stood up immediately and ran towards me, screaming. At this point, my grandfather and parents were rushing to the door as they heard the distress call from the rider. I hung up the phone and ran out with them. This is where it gets weird. The motorcycle belonged to my uncle, so even though the rider had a helmet on, there was only one person it could be. And yet, when we went outside to check on him, instead of being in the yard where I saw him thrown from the bike, my uncle was running up from the bottom of the hill. I was baffled and tried to explain to my family that I'd just seen him fall off the bike and run to the house screaming for help, but my uncle said it wasn't him. Instead, he told us that when he was on his way home, he had just passed the village cemetery when he felt his motorcycle getting heavy, like the engine was struggling. At first, my uncle thought it was about to break down, but when he got to the bottom of the hill, the bike actually started to throttle up, like someone was causing it to accelerate. This startled him, and so he jumped from the motorcycle and watched in horror as it rode up the hill entirely on its own, as if someone else was riding. When my uncle finished telling us what happened, my sister's face was pale, and she admitted she'd seen some of it happen from a second floor window. The bike had been running without anyone on it. My uncle was done, and he asked for a ride home from my dad, leaving the bike in the dirt where it had fallen. Now, this is a really important question, Paul, so I, I, I gotta have total focus, because th this is life and death stuff. Yep. When you were a kid, and you were on the phone for a long time, yeah. what did you look at when you didn't have internet porn? <laughs> I used to read the yellow pages. Fantastic. When I was a kid, I, I, um, I, mean, I didn't spend much time on the phone. I, I would look out my, my window at my neighbor's house, which was my aunt and uncle's house. Mm -hmm. And so I have all these memories of just seeing them kind of putter around in their yard. Do you, now, but do you have a, uh, a particular memory or like, was there a particular ad you would always kind of go back to? I always used to just flip through, just open it randomly and just read about weird professions. I had no idea what they were. <laughs> For example? I'm just trying to think now. It's a long time ago. I mean, the yellow pages when I was a kid was basically as thick as a brick. Of course. Um, and now they've stopped making it because of the oh, internet. I, yeah, I was going to say, I think they have here too. Um, so it always used to be left out. It, they could never put it through your letterbox. It was that thick. <laughs> yep. So you'd occasionally like go out your front door and trip over it once a year <laughs> <laughs> and sue them for sprained ankles. <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny you say thick as a brick because when I was first moving to Victoria, I would always stay at this one hotel uh, that was kind of a, kind of dumpy, but it was cheap mm. downtown. And across the street from it, uh, there's a pizzeria, and I, I won't say the name just in case because I'm I'm going to talk shit about it a little bit. <laughs> but um, their thing was, I mean, this is going to give it away, so it doesn't make much of a difference. But they they said their stuff was thick as a brick, <laughs> their pizza, and so you know because I was. I mean, not that I'm very healthy now, but I was considerably less healthy then. So I just mostly ate pizza while I was in town. <laughs> and I remember the very first time I went over there and I, I said, uh, oh, so which, which one of these do you recommend? Because they had pizza by the slice. And I got the single most disdainful look 
I've ever had. And I live in a, a city with many hipster coffee shops where I've <laughs> received many disdainful looks. Yeah. But the absolute look of disgust on this person's face when they said to me, I don't eat meat, so I don't know. <laughs> like just the absolute scorn practically singed my eyebrows off. I have never felt more judged. <laughs> and, you know, I've let strangers see me naked. Like I, I was... Holy shit. All right. Well, okay. I'll, I'll go fuck myself then. And uh, <laughs> that's what that lovely motorcycle story put me in mind of. Uh, I was just thinking one of my favorite ghost stories involves a motorcycle. Oh, do tell. And so there's a road in South Africa near the town of Uniondale. Okay. And there is allegedly the ghost of a woman who was killed in a car crash um, who famously, allegedly haunted this road uh, where she would invisibly introduce herself to passing vehicles. Uh, and there was a very famous incident where a guy drove down in a car and apparently he turned around to the passenger seat and there was a young woman sat there and he absolutely shit himself so much that he drove to the local police station who thought they were pulling his leg and threatened to arrest him. Oh, so Jesus. He, so he said, right, well, I'll show you where it happened. And as he took him down... He was being followed by a police car. Uh, and as they drove down the road, the car, the door opened no. as they were driving. The police car or, or his door opened? His door opened. The police car was behind him and saw his door open and then shut. Holy shit. But then about a year later, there was a, a I think he was a soldier in the South African army. And he was driving down there on a motorcycle uh, with his earphones in. Right. And um, all of a sudden, he just felt something grab him around the waist. Yikes. And he was looking around and he couldn't see anything. So he started speeding up. And as he sped up, it, this whatever this was kept hitting him on his head. Oh, Jesus. Um, and then he got to about 100 miles an hour and it stopped. And then he went in a local bar next place. Cause this road's like quite a long stretch with nothing on it. Right. So when he got to the town of Uniondale, he just basically pulled up and went for a drink. Obviously, the best thing to deal in a stressful situation is to drink alcohol. Yeah, but especially before you get back on your motorbike. Absolutely. And, uh, it, you know, it's one of those classic phantom hitchhiker stories that um, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, happens to a few people that. But he he was actually interviewed. I'm trying to remember his name. Something like Andre Goetze. And it happened Something in, very South African. Yeah, in the late 80s. And he he was interviewed and he was absolutely adamant what happened to him. The Scream. My name is Dale, and I am a university student who, like many people, commutes back and forth to campus using public transit. One evening, I got stuck working late and missed my bus, so I decided to call my brother Eric for a ride home. When I realised I was out of minutes, I borrowed my friend's phone and dialed Eric's number. But before it even dialed, I heard someone mumbling and crying in a low voice. I didn't know what to do, so I tried saying hello but it was like the other person didn't hear me. Thinking I had misdialed, I checked the number, and yes, it was Eric's. Slowly, I moved the phone back to my ear and was shocked to hear it dialing normally. Eric didn't pick up, so I texted him, and he agreed to come pick me up. Being in the car with him, everything felt normal as can be, so I figured it wasn't worth bringing up. Presumably, it was some weird glitch or a problem with my friend's phone. The weekend that followed was also normal, so by the time Monday rolled around, the last thing on my mind was strange voices on the phone. Monday morning, 
The rain was coming down hard, so I decided to bug Eric again for a ride. This time, I had credit on my phone, and yet still, after I dialed his number, I didn't hear a ringing. Instead, I heard a woman screaming, loudly and full of pain. My whole body was paralysed by fear, so I didn't move the phone away from my ear. There was silence after that scream, and then a few seconds later, I heard a normal ringing. My hands were shaking as Eric picked up my call, but I wasn't even able to speak. He asked me what was wrong, but instead of answering him, I hung up the phone. After a few minutes, I calmed down and texted him about a ride. When he got to my place, I asked him if he had heard anything strange when I called earlier. No, he said. Why are you asking? I explained what had happened the last two times I had called him. He laughed it off, but I haven't been able to. I called him twice, from two different phones, and had the same experience both times. No one can seem to explain why. And this is one that, again, I was going to kind of write off to the whole phone cloning thing until I realized that this was happening before the dialing had even started. Mm. And that is troublesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of these stories you hear about, like, phantom radio broadcasts and things like that. Yes. Where, you know, you'll be listening. And I, I remember this, again, speaking of radio, I remember this happening to me when I was a kid, listening to CKCR late at night. And then there would be this long period of silence. And I remember one time hearing this little voice laughing in the <laughs> silence. It, it literally sounded like, um, like, hee <laughs> And then, I don't know, after another 20 seconds, the music came back on. And it was so weird to have that much dead air on the radio. Yeah. But I'll never forget that little laugh. And I mean, it could have just been the you know, DJ messing with us. But mm. I, I don't know. It, something about it seemed weird. And this kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. There's something about sounds coming out of unexpected sources. Um, I remember a few times when I used to run pubs, we would occasionally get some weird phenomenon occur, which if you didn't know what was happening, it would be quite freaky. Where occasionally if a taxi drove past and it had a certain frequency and it was late at night, so you didn't have any, any music on, the speakers would actually pick up bits of the conversation. Oh, Jesus. So you just hear, yes. Yes. Wow. Where now? Okay. Pick up. And things like just random words. You wouldn't hear a full, and it's, you know, and weird, not even like, you know, it's half past 12, one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, oh, man. And it, and it t took about three or four times for it to happen until we realized. And then eventually so you'd hear somebody going, have we got that fair? <laughs> right. Like, oh, it's taxis. But yeah, it's really weird. The message. David was a family friend of ours who passed away unexpectedly at the age of 47, leaving behind a wife and two young daughters. My dad was best friends with David. They'd known each other since college, played racquetball together, and belonged to the same car club. They both owned Mustangs, but from different years. Every Thursday night, David would take his own prized Mustang out in order to bring one of his daughters, and it was only a two-seater, for a cruise night. Sadly, David passed on a Thursday. And one week after it happened, my dad decided to take David's youngest daughter out in his own Mustang. They were going to meet up with David's brother-in-law, who was taking the older daughter out in her dad's car, at McDonald's for a treat to try and lift their spirits. Well, the brother-in-law kept on driving past McDonald's for some reason, so my dad took out his cell phone to call the man, and he saw he had a voicemail. The voicemail was from David, and was dated the previous fall. My dad didn't want David's daughter to see this, so he quickly shut his phone and put it away. 
Later on that night, when my dad went home, he told my mom what happened. So she had him go get his cell phone, and she listened to the message. And basically it said, Hey Mike, it's Dave. Give me a call back when you get a chance. Thanks. Bye. That was it. A message from almost a year prior that my dad had never heard before. Then my mom pointed out he had another new, unheard voicemail. I've since listened to it and don't quite know how to describe the message other than angels singing. When I first listened, chills ran all through my body and my eyes teared up. At first it is a lady singing and then a group joins in. It gets staticky and sounds very distant and all I could hear was a lady singing, I'm supposed to, before it cut out. I checked my dad's missing call log and it said it came from a 1-800 number, but I tried calling it back and it said the number cannot be reached. I've tried coming up with other reasons, but no matter what the second message is, I still found it amazing that an old voicemail from David was sent to my dad's phone, especially when he was with his youngest daughter. I told my dad I thought it was Dave saying thank you for taking care of his daughter and doing something with her that he can no longer do. I really like stories like that. You know, we actually, yeah. I, I still have an entire episode done, like in terms of the script, that is all just stories like that. Yeah. And I just still have not found the right time because I just think it's going to be a tearjerker and I just don't know that, you know, I mean, maybe we're getting close to the point where people can handle something like that, where I mm -hmm. can handle something like that. Yeah. Because messages from beyond, that just, that just wrecks me. I think it's one of those things that, in this day and age, a lot of us don't take into consideration. But I know several people that have messages from loved ones that have departed that we have the ability to hold with us at all points now, which I think is something that is, is a fairly recent introduction. And I think things like that are only going to gain more gravitas as time goes on, and especially after what's happened to everybody everywhere in the world over the last 18 months. Yeah. And you make a great point, right? Because we're, we're entering this era when our digital presence is going to outlive us. Yeah. And it, it raises a question of how do you curate that? You know, I mm -hmm. mean, I think Facebook has finally instituted some kind of setup for someone who's passed on. Yeah. You know, I think you can like cause their account to enter a particular kind of mode where mm -hmm. it can be posted to, but obviously it cannot post anymore. Yeah. I wonder what, how it's going to change grief. Yeah. You know, I wonder if it's going to make it easier or if it's going to make it harder, mm. you know, like, um, <clears throat> one of the things in patrons will know this, but one of the things that we're working on right now is I, I'm, I'm putting together a little mini record label that will be for artists who are friends of the show and, and stuff like this. And, and the big catalog that we're basing all this around is Elliot Wilder from the Revenants. Mm. Elliot was our guest on episode 110 and, uh, or the Revenants were a guest on 110. And Elliot has released something like 96 albums in two and a half years. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's 66 and his thing is, well, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be around a whole lot longer, you know, hopefully, you know, good 20, 30, 40 years, maybe if he's lucky, but you know, yeah. he's, he's, he feels like there's more road behind him than in front. And mm. he's got a daughter who's 17 and he said, I have nothing from my parents. I, he's like, I don't have a letter. I don't have a, an anything. I don't have a note. He said, I have nothing to indicate to me how they saw the world or how they thought about the world. Yeah. And so his take on this is he's, he's one of the things he, he wants with his music is for him to have all this stuff left afterwards so that his daughter can, when, when she's older, look at it and go, okay, this is how dad saw the world. Yeah. And I, I, one of the reasons I'm working with him on, you know, sort of putting together this, this mini label is that I was so entranced by that notion because 
you know how you watch sci-fi movies and they'll have a thing where like like Superman's dad, you know? Yes. He's got his kind of like memories stored in a crystal and you can go ask it questions and it's not really him, it's like a recording of him. Mm. But, you know, science has always been sort of obsessed with this notion of sticking around after you're gone. And of course, that's what we're talking about with Facebook pages. But what Elliot was doing and is doing with, with these records really seems like a massive version of that. Yeah. You know, like you've got something like, I want to say almost 1100 songs mm. in various ways, describing the way you look at the world. And it, it's just a really, yeah, it's, it's all, it just kind of goes back to that, that question of digital legacy and, and, and what that means. Yeah. I don't think it's ever been easier to leave a footprint for all eternity out there because often people would, would realize that they didn't have, like you say, they didn't have letters or notes or photos even sometimes. And, um, I suppose that makes grief harder that you're not able to have something tangible to hold on to wherever way it is. And I think these days, you know, I've my phones, I very rarely delete messages unless they're trying to sell, sell me something. Right. <laughs> so whether that's Facebook or text messages or WhatsApp or whatever, or Instagram, they're there permanently, aren't they? I wonder though, I wonder if that makes it easier because I wonder if that makes it the opposite. Like, I, I wonder if it's the opposite because I wonder if, like my grandfather, you know, like I, I, my grandfather was, he and I were very close because my, my father and I don't have a relationship for reasons, uh, you know, if you know me, you know, but I'm not going to get into it on air. Yeah. But, um, you know, my grandfather were very close. And so he's been gone. Uh, actually it's just gone, uh, just gone 16 years hmm. uh, as of June 20th, I believe or June 25th rather. But you know, I don't, all I have is a memory of what he sounded like. Yeah. I don't have any video clips of him. I don't have any audio clips of him. I have, I have pictures, but no audio. And so I, I remember his voice, but I don't, I, I can't listen to it really. Yeah. And I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if I had a recording of him. I wonder if that would just be a way for me to needle the wound of his loss. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Mm. Like I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a conversation I had with a friend of mine a long time ago and he, he had lost his brother quite young mm. and he was, he was my age. And I remember him telling me, he said, you know, it sounds, it sounds silly and, and it didn't sound silly at all, but he said, you know, after he died, um, he said, I, you know, I had to clean out his room and he said, it's, it sounds, he said, this might sound dumb or gross, but he said, you know, I, I had his razor mm -hmm. and I had to decide what we're going to do with his electric razor. And he said, you know what, I was looking at this razor and there were these little bits of beard hair in there. And he yeah. said, I realized that's him. Yeah. You know, those are bits of him and he's gone, but this is here. And he said, what is that? You know, I don't even know what that means. And he said, I don't know. Like, do I keep it? Do I, am I, if I throw it away, am I that much further away from him? Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of people in my life, but never had to make those decisions because they weren't people who lived with me. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that would, if, if, if having all these things will cloud that process or make it easier. I just don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things, isn't it? Grief is different for everybody and people take solace in very different things. So true, I think true. the more opportunities people have to be able to remember a loved one, I think is a good thing. Yes, sure. it's open to abuse, but different things work for different people. And I think we should always remember that because often the thing that really annoys me is when people are grief stricken in regards to the, the loss of a loved one or a family member or a partner or, or even a pet. Um, how I deal with grief will not be the way someone else deals with it. And it would be unfair of me 
to expect them to be able to deal with it in the way I would. And I would also expect it unfair of them to tell me how I should deal with grief in regards to how they would. Absolutely. And I think we live in a particularly grief avoidant era. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the situation we're, we're sort of coming out of slash still in the middle of this, this fucking yeah. pandemic. There are all these people who just want things to just snap back, you know, mm-hmm. just back to normal. We're going to go to concerts and we're going to go to fucking football games and we're going to just pretend like none of this ever happened. And, and quite apart from, you know, the imminent danger still represented by, you know, variants of the virus out there mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, the virus itself. But I think there's this sense, this sense of, from a lot of people that, well, we don't want to talk about the grief. We don't want to talk about the pain. We don't want to talk about the people who are not comfortable being out in the world without masks on. Mm-hmm. We just want it to go away so we don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. And obviously I'm not a historian. I don't know that this is better or worse than in previous eras, but if I had to guess, I think we are in a more grief avoidant age than in past. And I, I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe because we are generally less encouraged towards introspection. Mm. You know, like I think we're, I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Mm. It's interesting. I know as we, we mentioned this, we, we touched on it earlier when we were talking about the potential for a similarity to, to what happened at the end of the first world war in the, in the current climate. And right. Will things like spiritualism or the memory of, of those that, that we've lost will, will play a, a prominent role as much as it did a hundred years ago. Um, and and that, that is something that I've been contemplating quite a lot. You know, I've been very fortunate that um, I've known a few people that have, have caught the virus and touch wood, long may it continue. I haven't lost anybody. So it's it's a very interesting concept to, without wishing to sound too ghoulish, to, to consider how the long-term impact of, of what's gone on will be, like you say, because I don't think things can ever be the same again. And when we look at what happened after the First World War and the Spanish flu coming to, to a climax around the same time, it's very interesting that here we are 100 years further on and apparently far more intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> and yet nothing really seems to have changed. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is human history but a series, of, uh, a series of cycles we like to pretend are not, in fact, cycles? <laughs> yes. I'm doing uh, this uh, online course right now. I'm taking this, this corporate finance course, and uh, for various reasons, it, we won't get into it. But anyways, we were talking about, um, we were talking about you know, this notion that people keep applying the same answers to the same questions, and it doesn't work. Yeah. But because we live in such a rational era, we just keep saying, well, the numbers, the numbers work. The numbers say this should work, so let's just try again. And it reminded me of a book I read a long time ago called Voltaire Bastards, the tyranny, I think it's like the tyranny of the age of reason. Mm. And it was just about this, about how, you know, as, as a human society, again, especially in sort of the, since the Industrial Revolution, we've just come to this conclusion that, that hard numbers and it will always give us the answer we need. Yeah. And so, again, if, 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 the, if we apply the solution to the problem and it doesn't fix the problem, well, the, the problem is not with the solution. The problem is with the implementation. Yeah. And I feel like we've sort of reached that point where we just keep going in circles. Yeah. Because we're, we're, again, we're so rational. We're not willing to say, okay, you know what? As you said, you know, the, the same shit that's happened, it happened in 1920 is, is happening now. And odds are we're not going to 
take anything new away from it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the problem. You know, a lot of people could say 12 months ago, it, it could be a real positive opportunity for for growth and rebirth and a re-evaluation of the way of the world and how we all work and treat each other. And yet, I'm deeply cynical when it comes to things like that. <laughs> I don't think anything's going to really change, is it? You know, it, it's a, that's an interesting question. And, and I, I think some things are, like I think we're seeing that now. Mm. You know, um, like one example I think is a great example to use is um, the, like the difficulty a lot of places now are, are having in finding workers. Yeah. You know, that's really becoming pronounced here on the island because we have such a tourism-based economy, but yeah. those jobs are, you know, almost to, to, to a man, very well, very poor paying. Yeah. And the island has become so expensive to live, especially Victoria. You know, we've been here 11 years. We're sort of rent controlled. If we had to move, leave here, we'd probably have to leave Victoria. So, you know, people aren't working those jobs because they can't, they, by and large, the people who were like let go from those jobs at the start of the pandemic. A lot of them retrained and found better work. Yeah. You know, and, and I know this, a lot of people banging the drum that all, they're just, you know, people are lazy, but I, I genuinely don't think that's the case. I think a lot of people have realized, hey man, why am I doing this work where I'm abused by people for no apparent reason? Yeah. For a pittance. Yeah. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I do think some people have, have learned, but I think where the friction is coming in is that the institutions have not learned. No. But people have. Hmm. And I think the danger of the, the world coming up, and, and hey, this is way more philosophy than you thought you were going to get on the show, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I think the danger is that the, the institutions risk obsolescence by yeah. not adapting. Hmm. You know, I, I was, as I, I think I mentioned on one of our patron shows, I've been watching a lot of Al Jazeera. And, hmm. you know, one of the things I keep hearing in like four or five different elections around the world is that the voter turnout is poor. And it's not yeah. poor because, again, people are lazy. It's poor because people are tired of the poor-ass options on display. Yeah. And so, you've like, worldwide, people are saying, I am sick of politicians, and I'm sick of politician shit. Yeah. So, again, if, if the institution doesn't adjust, and the politicians don't adjust, and, you know, like, the, all these different things it, up and down the line don't adjust, what becomes of them? Mm -hmm. What happens when you've got this fundamental disconnect between the people who make a system go and the mechanisms of that system. Mm. And that, I think that's sort of the, uh, the big question, like the, the question I'm really interested in as, as we go forward, you know, cause I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people who have not learned, yeah. but I think there are a surprising number of people who have. Yeah. And that is going to be a really fascinating, I don't want to say conflict cause I don't want to think about in terms of conflict, but I think in terms of like, uh, friction, I think is going to be a major, major issue going forward. Yeah, very. I mean, I'm very lucky to work for an employer that has basically embraced the new working conditions and the way we all have to be now. That's and, cool. And we're we're not going to go back to a five day working week in the office. That's just how it's going to be now. Oh, that's great. That's remarkably progressive. Because the general consensus from the vast majority of the workforce that are office based is that working in an office has a negative impact and. There is no result-based situation that shows that productivity has fallen. If anything, it's improved. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think Iceland just concluded a study where they implemented a four-day work week. Yes. Yeah, they have. And they found productivity increased, yep. uh, general, like general happiness increased. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, I think, you know, w- with apologies to our American listeners, I mean, I think in, in the developed world, I think America has the most toxic work culture. Yeah. You know, because I find it incredible how little time off American workers have. Yeah. And they, they, they work constantly and they're like, they're sort of told this makes them noble, but they're not treated like nobility. They're treated like replaceable parts in a machine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to a degree that's common for work everywhere, but, but America is generally regarded in Americans. If you don't know this again, we love you guys, you know, we mm-hmm. want better for you, but the, the expectation is that you are always available to work and that you are still replaceable, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there was that, that great joke that went around at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, with, uh, people in Europe re- with their auto reply, you know, that would be something like, well, I'm uh, not working for the next three months. So, um, if it's important, you know, reach someone else on the team. Um, otherwise we'll see you in September. And <laughs> with the Americans, it was, you know, uh, please pardon me. I'm in the emergency room right now, but if you can, uh, wait 15 <laughs> minutes, I'll call you back. And, um, you know, if you need something sooner than that, please reach out. Maybe I can text you from the, uh, text you from the wheelchair kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I get seven weeks a year off from my job paid. Man, you know, even in Canada, we don't have that. And I remember when, when I first met Nikki and she was working for the police and she told me how much time paid time off she got, I was stunned, <laughs> stunned. We love a bank holiday in this country. <laughs> But at the same time, why not? Right? Because again, if, if, if the work is still getting done, mm? happy workers work harder and they work better. Yeah. 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 Mind you, there'll not be much work done depending on what happens Sunday night, I think. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. Don't phone England. Don't phone England Monday. <laughs> Nobody's up. If they don't win, I think the whole country will be burned to the ground. So don't bother calling Tuesday either. <laughs> yeah. Give it 24 hours for the fires to go out. Gone like that. I have had plenty of paranormal experiences, but the one that shocked me the most is when I was living in-house at a girl's dormitory at Job Corp. I was leaving the bathroom when the door shut behind me and I heard a man's voice. When I turned around to face the bathroom door, I saw a muscular man standing there, talking on a cell phone. He didn't look like a ghost or anything. He was just there. Then... Before I could call out for the other girls, the man hung up the phone and disappeared. He was just gone, like that. A lot of my roommates had heard the voice and assumed it had to be Mr Dawson, a staff member none of us liked very much. But even if it had been him, before any man comes into the girls' dorm, they have to announce, man in the dorm, and no one had. Also, Mr Dawson had a particularly annoying voice, which really didn't sound like the man I had seen. I really want to make it clear that whoever this man was, he didn't particularly stand out apart from the fact he disappeared. He was a tall, muscular, Caucasian male with dark hair, talking on his phone like he was in an office or something. It sounded like he was talking to someone about business, but I had been so surprised I really wasn't properly paying attention. Ghosts don't scare me, but I was shocked all the same. Since then, I've learned there have been plenty of paranormal experiences in this centre, and in other job corp sites. And man, I remember when we did the first LA episode, we had a story from our listener, Casey, and mm. she had, she was working at a job corp site and she'd had a bunch of stuff happen. Yeah. And in kind of looking that up, I found a shitload of other stories 
taking place at job core sites. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you could also almost, I don't know if you could now, cause I think we, we may have exhausted a bunch of them. Of course that was four years ago, mm. but you could almost do a whole show just on job core experiences. Mm. And I don't know, and listeners, if you're out there, if you've worked with job core and you've had your own experiences, I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, you know, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. It's, I don't know if it's because they use particularly historical places or if the property they end up buying just happens to be uniquely unusual that way. You know, I, I don't, mm. I really don't know what it is, but there was a huge number of job core stories that, um, that we found and, and obviously, yeah, in, including this one too. Yeah. Well, you can certainly date whatever it is because he's talking on a phone. Well, th- that's really interesting because that's something, because that's something that, um, I was briefly talking about Matt from the Royal Philharmonic Chainsaw Massacre with, you know, uh, he, we were, of course we talked about, I mentioned him on the previous story because he'd sent us that one about the black mist mm. and we were saying that it's so unusual for cell phones to turn up in these stories. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's just so rare that that's part of like the paranormal storytelling. And, and I think this is the first time I've ever heard of a ghost, you know, or a spirit or whatever you want to call it being seen with a phone. Well, I think it's one of those things because often I think the presumption is that ghosts all look a certain way, you know, like there's several memes about, you know, got to get dressed in Victorian clothes so I fit in with the rest of the ghosts when I die. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. But it's one of those things that unless you see something in a situation where they shouldn't be, like in that story where he turns up in the girl's dorm, it's not going to stand out. If you see somebody like that in the street or in an office or in a pub, or a bar, or, or anything. That's not unusual, is it? Yeah, that's a great point. So I think often it's it's the context of the of the apparition or the experience that makes you suddenly realise that there's more to it than that. You know, they're not going to go wandering past dressed like Ebenezer Scrooge, clanking chains, going, Ooh. Right. you know, he might be going, buy, buy, sell, sell. <laughs> Who knows? It's true. Enough, yeah, it's, it's a stressful occupation. A lot of those guys have gone out doing that. Funny enough, the the guy who's who's the uh, lecturer and the course I'm taking, he's a, a financial advisor, and and I I don't know if he's a stock, no, I don't think he's a stockbroker, but he's a financial mm. advisor, and he he does a lot of his own trading, and he looks like he seems like he's a nice guy, I like him, but he looks exactly like that kind of you can just imagine him really stressed and shouting into his cell phone. <laughs> he's from New York, and he's just got that like even if you didn't tell me he was from New York, I would know because he yeah. looks like. Like a very competent, very stressed man who's always in the middle of business deals that are just about to not work out if he doesn't keep on track of it. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. And I, again, I would, I would, if, if I saw him on the street, I wouldn't, and he was a ghost, I, I wouldn't know the difference. I think there's just a, a very harried man who's trying to get, uh, get where he's going very quickly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it. That's our last story for tonight. Thank you so much for listening, folks. If you got a story you want to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to do it. And you can also call the ghost line, but we'll, we're going to talk about that in the C segment. Uh, that's where we're also going to talk about what you do to become a patron and all the cool shit you get. We'll be right back.
Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now, and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it, and make a phone call, or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is one 456 Four five six six. In the USA, the number to call is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. In the UK, the number to call is one one six one two three, or text shout. That's S H O U T to eight five two five eight. In Australia, the number to call is one three one 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 four. However bad shit seems, it will pass, and no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you, and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for everything they do. And congrats to Luke, who we just found out uh, as we were going in to record, he's had one of his screenplays optioned, which is really great. You know, it's, uh, as, as Luke himself pointed out, it's still a long road from here to having a finished film, but still, it's uh, an important milestone, and I think it is absolutely worth celebrating. So congrats to Luke. Yeah, fantastic news. And uh, thanks to you, of course, my good friend and co-host, Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, also host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What, uh, what's lined up on Eminem? We've got the return of Nick Redfin. Ooh, exciting. Uh, so that's going to be a good one, talking about uh, UFOs, Marilyn Monroe, and the FBI. As all part of one Conspiracy, massive subject? Yeah. As oh. in, was that the reason Marilyn Monroe was assassinated? Well, this I have to hear. Yeah, so we've got that. Uh, we've got a couple of Lake Monster episodes coming up, some Bigfoots, and a couple of spooky episodes covering uh, Britain's wonderful, rich history of theatre ghosts. So that's going to be a good one as well. Sweet. And uh, where can everyone find you on the internet? You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. and uh, Just search for Mysteries and Monsters. We're on all social media platforms under Mysteries and Monsters. And our website is mysteriesandmonsters.com. Perfect. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at Largely the Truth. And you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys. You can also find us on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And if you want to come hang out with us over on the Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We've got a fantastic community of people over there and a lot of cool shit. The, the Patreon has been kind of evolving uh, since January. 
And it's finally kind of reached a place where I'm really happy with what I'm putting out. And so you get uh, weekly Book of the Dead episodes, which are three tales of the paranormal read by me. Then on, uh, I'm also starting a weekly show called Host Adventures, which I've totally cribbed from Kev that we need to talk about ghosts. Because <laughs> um, we're patrons of his and he does this really great. And if you're not a patron of Kev's, you're missing out. Because he does, uh, in addition to the paranormal stuff, a weekly ramble where he just kind of talks about whatever's going on in his life. And so I've started a, a version of that called Host Adventures. Uh, so, and, and Kev knows about this. I, I owe him several coffees in, in exchange. And there's also the Sunken Library, which you get once a month, which is a, a separate paranormal podcast uh, hosted by me and, and goes anywhere from 30 to 75 minutes on various topics. And uh, what else? Oh, there's also, of course, the monthly movie nightish, where you just get to hang out with me and Paul while uh, a pretty terrible movie from the 70s or 80s or 90s plays in the background. <laughs> And the, I mean, the, the movie is, the movie is fun, but really the attraction of there is just a, it's a live interaction between us and you guys. And, uh, yeah, it's a ton of fun and you can find all of that over at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. As I said throughout the show, if you've got a comment or story for the show, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to send it. Or if you want, you can call us on the ghost line. There's something strange. Big thanks to our listener, Amber Pease, for her ghost line jingle. And again, the number is one 588 6920 Or you can text at 925-553-4789. And when you call the 1-800 number, you can leave your story or comment for the show as one or a series of voicemails. And if you text, you can text pictures, links, whatever you like. We don't respond, but I see everything that comes through. And again, we may, in fact play it on the show or feature it on the show or in the show notes. Uh, it's all just other ways for you guys to reach us. And it's, uh, that's a ton of fun hearing from you. So thanks to everyone who sends us emails. I love getting them, love reading them and, uh, ditto for the voicemails and text messages. All right. Our theme song radio into the darkness we go is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta music. You can find more from him online by searching for Pizzanta music, wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is the future belongs to them now by hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. And that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I'm going to throw one more, uh, one more plug in there for The Revenants, who we are uh, helping get their catalog online. You can search for them, again, everywhere you get your tunes. Uh, the Revenants, there's a bunch of bands called The Revenants. You're going to want the one with the, uh, so far, 60-plus albums streaming. So that's, that's them. And I, I guess that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. But until then... Into the darkness we go. I've got any outtakes to hold over your head forever. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, well, me too. So we're enabling each other, I think, is what's happening. <laughs> Gonna ransom all your Funko Pops now. <laughs> Send me Bruce Banner or the clip gets released. Keeps having dreams of a kind elderly couple. Hang on. Can you hear that? I sure can. Hang on a minute. Just bear with me. Apparently a cat decided to knock a plate off the kitchen table and shit has gone everywhere. Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 shit. I'm not about that. <laughs> yeah, that'll teach us not to tidy up after eating. Little fuckers. <laughs> nope. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I can hear the fumbling start and clock. Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Mine too. Oh, cool. Well, I wasn't recording my side of that, so at least we've got the uh, Zoom recording. Sorry. <laughs> Or again, old age is just hitting, you know, coming towards me like a oncoming, like like the like the ghost train in Ghostbusters too. It's just coming, <laughs> coming, coming, and about to blow right through me. <laughs> I remember in Revelstoke, I want to say twenty, hmm, whenever Italy won the World Cup, like I don't two thousand and six. There we go. I knew you. <laughs> Jeez, that was instant. Went on penalties against France. There we go. So I, I remember sitting on my my front porch. And all these guys who are probably, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation Italians driving around in their trucks, waving flags behind them like they just got off the boat, screaming, <laughs> Italia. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> I wasn't even, t I wasn't totally sure I hadn't just dreamed the song. Yeah, no, no, it's true. No, the, uh, the video is very Flintstone-esque as well. Okay. Well, I have to, just a quick look. <laughs> just a quick look. <laughs> oh yes this looks i remember seeing this this video now Oof. <laughs> all right that's a that's do a the, journey back do the brontosaurus the dance <laughs> with your arm <laughs> do that at the, we'll do that at the live show <laughs> so the rider go for it you sure going to what's that oh is it oh shit it is too yeah fuck. <laughs> <laughs> i said I'd, I'd like to order this delivered and the person taking the call said, oh, one sec. They put their hand over the receiver, but not well enough. And they said, are you sober enough to drive? <laughs> I tell you, I, I'm like, I'm creeping up on that age where, you know, I would start looking at buying a motorbike to try and reclaim some sort of like glimmer of my lost youth. <laughs> but I'm just, it's not happening. <laughs> the scream. The scream. Which is what we were supposed to do on the last section. <laughs> I blame you. <laughs> I thought you might. And if you want to come hang without it, Jesus fuck. Woof. <laughs> you best put that in the outtakes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> it's only fair. It's not just Paul who has battles with words. <laughs> oh, I lose so many battles with words, Paul. <laughs> so many battles with words. Boom.